Hello. Hey, how you doing, Vato? Hey, good. How you doing, man? <laughs> uh, hanging in there, hanging in there. All right. Hey, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know you're a busy guy, so I really, oh, really appreciate it. I'm always good for a good conversation, dude. Oh, man. Thank you so much. I had a whole bunch of questions, and I've been thinking about these for probably a couple of years now. Uh, <laughs> just because, just like, okay, so I, I have to tell you, I, I think I've been meaning to meet you for a really long time. <laughs> I had a, a mentor at um, the Northwest Playwrights Conference a long, long time ago. His name is Brian Willis. I think he could tell that I was a Mexican from Wyoming, and yeah. that might be a little bit difficult. And so he said, yeah. you know, uh, you should reach out to Jose Casas because he would be able to get you in the right direction. And this oh, wow. was, this was a, a really long time ago. And uh, I, I just realized I connected the dots just recently when we started, you know, uh, communicating over email. I'm like, oh, man, this is. This is going to be wonderful because I, I think that um, I'm not going to have you fix my life choices or anything, but, you know, it's just kind of nice, you know, to finally get yeah. to meet you and, and oh, to no. get to pick your brain a little bit about stuff. So um, where, where are you at right now? Um, I'm in my office at the University of Michigan. I'm in my sixth year. Oh, nice. Here, uh, teaching and I lead the playwriting program that I actually, or the minor that I created. Because uh, when I got here, we don't have a graduate department. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, people, when people ask me who my favorite playwright is or um, uh, or what my favorite play is, I, I think because of me, they expect it to be like a political kill whitey play, <laughs> which I do like. Do not get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. But I'm like Death of a Salesman by Will, uh, by, by Arthur Miller. OK. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. I even have Louis Loman tattooed on my calf. Oh, wow. And, uh, OK. Yeah. And um, and I teach playwriting at the school that he went to. And when I got here since we don't have a graduate program, we have a lot of minors. And I'm like, how do you not have a playwriting minor? So mm. I created one and yeah, uh, it's been yeah. really good. And it's, um, it's growing and growing. And, um, I don't know if I'll be here forever. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I kind of don't want to, I love my job. <laughs> I love my job. I don't love the cold. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would like to get closer to my family and friends and also be oh, yeah. in a more diverse area, especially when I try to develop my work, there's really no Latino theater oh, out here. And so it's Ooh, hard. I, I hear you there. I mean, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm back in Wyoming and, uh, you yeah. know, I've, I've been here since I was 10 years old. I did have like a couple of stints where we moved to Seattle for a while, my wife and I, but, you know, coming home in the last couple of years to, to start a family, essentially, I want to continue to do this kind of stuff, but it does yeah. pose a problem, right? Where I have like six plays that are like primarily, you know, like Latino, Latinx, you know, like folks. And you're like, how, how am I going to make this happen? Uh, so it does kind of pose a, a an issue there sometimes. Um, have you had any any kind of luck getting some stuff produced that is uh, that you haven't custom written for that that area? Uh, no, not really. Um, <laughs> uh, like I said, they did a production of mine two years ago, um, but it was actually a, a, and I'm still working on it. I actually did some final interviews, and then um, I don't know if you heard about this water crisis with lead pipes in uh, Flint, Michigan. Yeah, yeah, my and goodness. And I did a documentary piece, and we uh, we produced it here. Uh, so that was multicultural, and I'm actually I did some final interviews, and um, one person who I wanted to interview, but our schedules just don't mesh, is uh -huh. uh, Michael Moore, the documentarian. Oh yeah, yeah. And but he said that anything that I've said on public record, I could use to fashion a oh, monologue. Wow. You know. Okay. And so that one, and then they're producing one of my plays at the end of the season about homeless kids living near Disneyland, but that's also multicultural. Is that, is uh, that, uh, what was it? Uh, somebody's children? Is yeah. that what it was? Okay. Yeah. 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 So they're doing that at the end of the year. Uh, but in terms of like, and I, I've, I've, we have an issue with diversity and that's been the biggest issue. Mm. And I remember one diversity workshop amongst others. And I almost was crying. I'm like, how do you feel that I can't ever, <laughs> or I can never envision one of my true Latino plays being done in the place that I work. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Or do you even give a shit? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's been really like that. That's been a struggle. So whenever I do kind of develop it, I have to go somewhere else, dude. Mm. And yeah, I ain't yeah. rich, man. That, that takes money. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, absolutely. And so, you know, and then it's you know, and and like I said, we don't have a large Latino uh -huh. community. I actually literally just right off, right before you called, a, a student in musical theater uh -huh. was like, "Hey, can I talk to you?" And I'm like, "Oh, we had a really good talk." And he's actually coming in. Oh, great! After um. Uh, this podcast because i'm gonna give him my book that i did a couple years ago about latinx tya but he's uh robin rodriguez's nephew oh no way filmmaker. <laughs> that's like, interesting yo. and i was like yo man tell your dad to give me a fucking job dude come on man. <laughs> seriously but, come you on know, 
help you help know, a man even out. Though he, even though he's not one of my students, I've always opened up my 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 office and my space and my time to the kids and our any kid, but in particular yeah. the kids of color, even if they're not my students, to Absolutely. you know whether it's about school or just even personal. I always feel like you can come to me because unfortunately, a lot of times you feel like you're in the room, and even as a faculty member, a lot of times. I feel like I'm the only one in the room as well. So oh, man. I try to encourage those kids to, to you know. Yeah, and I, I, I totally get you. I mean, in, in terms of the, I kind of want to ask you so much about uh, theater for young audiences and stuff like that, but I just academically, because I think uh, it's, uh, I have a lot of mixed feelings because I grew up in that similar environment. I feel that a lot of the time, people of color don't really have mentors in these academic settings. And I remember meeting a lot of my mentors later in life, and it's almost like I've been playing catch up this whole time. So, you know, kind of, you know, coming to what you've been able to create with with these anthologies for theater of young audiences for for kids of color. I mean, I think that's just like a phenomenal thing. And I I do want to ask you about how theater for young audiences can be used to to engage kids of color. Like, is that something that that you you think of often when all the you know, time creating these all the time yeah and you know the one thing with the pandemic we're seeing you know one of the good things i don't know if you know about the but the, like the initiative we see you white american theater mm. um yeah yeah, uh, yeah and i was one of the original signees of it mm. about now during the pandemic calling theaters and organizations accountable for their diversity and there's a lot of switch there's been a lot of switch over a, a nice amount in adult theater but not in ty theater at all uh-huh. okay you know and they're doing some some programming but eventually that leadership has to change to reflect you know it's like how can we advocate for youth when uh the leadership both in academia and in professional theater looks like donald trump's wet dream right? that, <laughs> that there's work. something so, something missing here yeah you know so that's why my work is geared towards that not only educating kids of color but these organizations and these entities so like with the books i'm finishing up the second latino one uh, mm. with my co-editor christina marin yeah and i've already started one for african-american theater right. um i saw that and in- you know and uh with that one even then i told the publishers this is the only time i'm doing the african-american one because i don't know if you notice i'm not black <laughs> and um and my co-editor is but it's just like we need black scholars to continue this work you need Absolutely. to give them these places and uh, and then i don't know if i if in my thing um I'm doing a superhero one. I don't know if I put that down. Oh no, I ha- I didn't see that. Um, no. This uh this is gonna be a blessing and a curse in the same thing because um I love if you see I got tons of superheroes. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. I'm not an adult, I'm a grown ass kid. And um and so um uh I'm for the African American one, I'm actually writing a piece specifically for the anthology about an Afro-Latino kid struggling from with mental health and unfortunately inspired mm. by one of my nephews. Oh. And so, you know, but I love that. And it's a, a, a comic book aesthetic. And one of my friends who teaches at a college in LA, she went to a Latinx Comic Con and she bought a shirt saying the Brown Jaguar. And she oh, showed me a nice. shirt, like, you're the Brown Jaguar. I'm like, fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write that eventually. And then I saw, um, I went and uh, participated in a virtual, um, a virtual conference out of DePaul University about superheroes and folklore and myths and origin stories. Oh, great. And one of my colleagues who's now at UT Austin uh, did a session. I was just getting fucking hyped. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm, I decided I'm going to ask a bunch of writers of color, uh, TOA writers, and we're going to do superhero plays. Mm. And so, um, and then I'm like, I'm, okay, I'm going to text my or email my publisher. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, uh, they responded within an hour of the email, which I was shocked because oh, there have wow. been times where I waited. There's times where I waited a year just to get rejected. I'm like, really? <laughs> it took you a year to say no? Thank you, y'all. But you know that and, that's what we call the undeniable idea, right? Where you just you know? come up with something that that is so spot on, that <laughs> they can't deny it. They got to move yeah. forward with it. Yeah, you know. And so you know, they're, they're like, yeah, we'll 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 do it. Sight and scene, they don't not knowing who the stories are or the playwrights. And then, um, and so I collected them. So my goal was eight playwrights, and uh, and I and the eight that we know, I know seven of them. Um, and the eight they make up three Latinx, um, one Asian American. I'm really proud because he's one of my ex students. <laughs> um, uh, African American, two Indigenous writers, and an Iranian writer. Oh, that's and, sick. Um, that's awesome. So we're like, okay, you know, and I'm like, yo, we're not going to get paid any money because it's not them commissioning. It's just they're commissioning something we're all doing together, but. Mm-hmm. You're getting a play unproduced, unseen, published. Yeah. And yeah. then it's going to get out to this huge uh, audience. That itself is some sort of like 
capital. Absolutely. You know so, and um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. but um, then I did something really stupid. Um, I'm like, <laughs> we need more. And so I'm like, decided, you know, um, I'm going to try to convince like the major, like the major theaters in TYA to pay to commission playwrights to develop it and to produce it. And all during the same season. I'm like, no one's going to do this because we're asking them to be a part of it and they got to pay for it. And I'm one of the playwrights, so that's kind of ballsy. <laughs> I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to try. Yeah. Um, and so last week, uh, not only did we reach the goal of eight, we have nine. And I have a feeling within by next week, we'll have another three. Oh, so amazing. that'll be about 12 plays. <laughs> um, and the first one that jumped on board immediately was the Kennedy Center. Oh, that's great to hear. And so that's a good one to use when you're trying to recruit. Yeah. And so top um, billing, right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we're we're getting in the process and to see how the moving parts work and who mm. which playwrights are going to go which theaters. But the goal is for the next two years develop it, ask for granting money, um, funding money, and then um, uh, into after in the twenty four twenty five season have them produce across the country. Mm. And so oh, wow. um, one of the ones I hope we get, and I just had a meeting with them yesterday, is Honolulu Th Children's Theater. Oh, so literally, if we get that, we'll have theaters from Honolulu all the way to Washington D.C participating oh, in this. how and, incredible uh, is that and you know and we also just got a partnership with tyusa which is the main organization so yeah. um they're going to highlight the play during the 2014 uh conference where all the plays are going to be part of a reading festival at the conference every single play is mm -hmm. going to be heard That's and so uh, amazing so yeah man we're, we're trying but like i said i i, I cussed up myself like don't you have enough shit on your plate asshole <laughs> Really, you <laughs> try I, to do no, but I, I think that this is the right kind of momentum, right? And I gotta ask you, is this something that you've always had, like this this just complete sense of of purpose to do yeah. this type of work? Like ever since you were you were younger or you were discovering theater? Oh, I mean like, not not theater, um, just that idea. Um and every time I talk to class where they ask me, I have to tell the story. And it's just <laughs> I grew up wanting to be a politician and and um and uh oh, uh really? boy. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to be the first Chicano governor of California, you know what I mean? And um, and uh, to, we didn't have the arts growing up. Mm. Whatever was at the movies or on TV, that was art. Mm. And no one in our community was like, you should be an artist as a career. No one, you know. Uh -huh. And uh, if you had told me my first day of college, I would have graduated with a degree in drama. I would have fucking laughed in your face. <laughs> so you what? Know, no. So how did that happen? Going from from politician aspirations yeah. to playwriting or well, theater in general? Um, yeah. Um, well, the thing was, um, I was getting disenfranchised because I went to a college uh, called UC Santa Barbara and it's on the beach. Mm. Literally in my four years of I went to community college for a year. Then I transferred in my four years of college. It never took me more than five minutes to get from my apartment or my dorm oh, man. to the water. That's kind of spoiled. <laughs> but it was also the widest, the widest state school still is. And it also had the lowest minority retention rate. And it mm. still does. Mm. And um so I went and everyone wanted to be, you know, a, a entertainment lawyer, or a corporate lawyer. We're so close to L.A. Yeah. And like this is two hours north of where I grew up. And it was the farthest north I'd ever been in my life, you know, and mm. I got I got really got disillusioned. I didn't know what I wanted to was, you know, spending way too much on the beach and not enough time in class, ditching it. And um, I had to take like English classes for like, you know, you have to do your pre or your requisite like languages, science. And I took like a short story class and my teacher and like the TA like, Oh dude, you're really good. I'm like, Oh fuck this. I don't give a shit. <laughs> and I took a couple others and even my friends were noticing and they're like, dude, I'm like, yo dudes, whatever. <laughs> and then I remember um, taking a biology class of all things. And, um, and this is an 88, 89. And this class was uh, AIDS and immunology. So you, you uh, AIDS back then, you know, it was, it was just, it was horrible. Yeah. I mean, I remember being there when one of my friends who passed away found their first lesion, you know what I mean? And, oh um, and so yeah. I was taking this class and our professor said we could write our final paper about about AIDS, but through any kind of perspective, if you wanted to write one talking about the economic things or the bio biology, or whatever. And I did a one man play about a guy dying of AIDS. This is his last year of life. Oh, and wow. to this day, I still don't know why, because I'd never seen a play and I was only taking I was taking English classes, not theater courses. So I write this. And then I'm going up and turning in my 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 final thinking, oh, shit, I'm not going to pass. I love the class, mm -hmm. but bio is hard for me. And and about I'd say half of the class was still in the room. And as I go turn in uh, my test, my professor starts to ball, like lose it. Oh, wow. I'm looking at my classmates. Like, what did I do? <laughs> and uh, and she's like, why did you you write a play? And like, you know, I, I think it's important to put 
a, a human face behind the statistics. And she's like, I hope you don't mind. I made uh, not only made a copy for my daughters, I made a copy for every professor oh, in the biology goodness. department. And I'm like, um, okay, whatever. <laughs> and she's like, Jose, remind me what your major is like, poli sci, pre law. And she's like, if you've learned anything in my class, it's that you're in the wrong major. <laughs> and so the next day, I put drama and English in a hat and did a little ceremony with my roommates. I'm like, whichever one I pick out, I'm going to change my major. And I picked out drama and switch majors. And, wow. but even then I was really scared. And I said, my mentors in college were all white, you know what I mean? And then I met Jose Cruz Gonzalez. Oh my goodness. And, yeah. 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 And, um, and he's, I've been stuck with, he's like my best friend. We've been stuck with each other oh, ever beautiful. since. That's beautiful. But, um, it took a long time because I wasn't making any money. I was, I was, I was, I was doing art, but I wasn't making any money. And it took probably a good, like 15, maybe even 20 years where I finally stopped saying, maybe I should go to law school, you know? <laughs> oh, <wow>. and, <laughs> and so it took me into this field, but at one point I realized that the reasons why I wanted to be a lawyer, I'm exactly doing it, just not in law, but in theater, but the same intentions and inspirations and things I want to accomplish. That's what I'm doing right now. Absolutely. It's just theater. You yeah, know and, I mean? you, and you're touching on something so important that I, I have an issue with or that that i do agree with you on because you know being raised in wyoming you have you have folks who don't see the value or the merit of the arts you know just as a standalone thing and i do think that that's a problem sometimes yeah. uh, with academia that the, it, it kind of gets isolated and there's no real practical application to this sort of thing so what a beautiful thing that you had that organically right where you said we can use art as a vehicle for messaging, for, you know, social improvement or justice and things like that. I mean, I, I just think that if we don't have that built in, or if we can't see that, how do we, how do we mine that out of ourselves? Or do you just have to give a shit? Do you just have to, you yeah, know, you have to give a shit, you know, care? and also have to, yeah, you also have to be intentional. Cause like, you know, you have to think about the future and not the present. You know, I remember in, in the Latino theater Alliance, oh my God, we'd argue about this all the time about how to get more audiences. I mean, we do need, need more audiences, obviously, but you know, what are the odds of a 40 year old macho coming into a play and all of a sudden singing, you know, show tunes the rest of his life. <laughs> very, that, that's kind of me, but in college, but that's very rare. We need to build audiences right now as youngsters mm -hmm. so that they learn not only to appreciate Latino theater, but theater in general, and they yeah. can change how theater is going to be looking in the future. Cause artistic directors are like, Oh shit, there are a lot more black, Brown, Asian people in the audience. Mm -hmm. We need to catch up then we have to do it with our kids and sometimes it's hard because we still have to try to legitimize theater for young audiences because it's still children's theater and right, i i would like right. that too if i hadn't gone to arizona state for my playwriting i don't know if i'd be writing for youth because they have a really a uh, big theater for young audience program right. and my friends in the program like oh you got to write for kids Fuck you <laughs> i am a real writer i don't write for kids and then i my thesis was a a high school age of uh, break dancing, spoken word, hip hop play. I'm like, oh, oh this great. is cool. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done. And then they're like, hey, we'll pay you to write this story. Uh, okay, I need money. All right. <laughs> I like money. And then yeah. more and more, um, I kept writing. The more and more I realized the value and the importance of it. And that when I'm writing for youth, I'm writing for our most important audience. Mm. And, and, and so that's just taking me further and further along. And not that I don't write for adults. I do. But the majority of my work is geared towards young audiences. Yeah. Mm. And you know, I, I love that, but I think that, um, I wasn't going to ask you, I had a, following that train of train of thought about children's theater. Do you think that the, the, the way that we perceive children's theater is still the same as before? Do you think that there's been some strides in this kind of thinking that theater for young audiences doesn't really matter as much as the, you know, um, I think, I think there are strides, but we still have a long way to go um, because uh, we have to deal with gatekeepers who don't allow that variety of stories. They all want to do like Cinderella, the Velveteen Rabbit or titles or adaptations, mm. which drives me fucking nuts. I'm like, I'm working on an adaptation and it's cool. I'm happy with it. It's about a girl scientist, Frankenstein scientist. Oh, yeah. Um, but we had to use a common title. Mm. I couldn't do an original one. And um, and so, um, you know, Africa, Asia, Europe, they're so farther ahead of us in theater for young audiences because they actually treat kids like human beings mm -hmm. and not little bodies. And so I, I, I don't use the word children's theater because really it's theater for youth that reflects everything from young theater for the very young, uh -huh. like two, three-year-olds to high school, early college. And, and, but we're everyone, whether you're an artistic director, a writer, or an educator, we're still fighting that stigma that is just for kids. 
So what you know, do you see in, in other countries that is successful? Like specifically, do you, is there something that you wish you could kind of take from them or just that basic lesson of like, these are adults in, in progress, you know? Yeah, right? that's it. And that's the yeah. attitude we have to take. And especially when you're talking about creating art for, in, in schools, all it takes is one parent, all it takes is one audience member who's offended by the material mm. to fuck shit up. <laughs> and so the gatekeepers are a huge problem. And like I say, in TYA, Kids aren't fucking it up. It's the adults mm. theater for youth, but yeah, it's the adults who are messing it up. And like I said, it's that common respect and, you know, it's less about the art and, and it's more about access to that type of art that they're doing in Asia and Africa. Like, you know, there's place for youngers where there's nudity in some place. You oh, know wow. what I mean? I don't know if I do that personally, but yeah. it's this idea like, you know, you know, if kids are experiencing the same thing adults are, then they should have stories that reflect that. And, and, you know, and one of the things I've been saying a lot to different classes lately in terms of, you know, there's nothing wrong with the Velveteen Rabbit, you know what I mean? And my one of my plays I want to see is you're a good man, Charlie Brown. So, you know, and when the little mama spider dies in Charlotte's Web, I get sad, <laughs> you know. But, you know, if all we're doing is producing that safe, generic, every kind of sweet stuff, all we're really doing is feeding kids sugar and empty calories. And look at, at when you're creating a season, look at it as the food chart. Okay, where is that snack that's sweet? Where is the protein? Where are these different elements? And they're not doing that. They're just giving us the sugar. And like, we're never going to progress if, if that's how we treat kids. We really need to like it. And then I think high school kids get the short end of the stick because of their mm -hmm. age. You know, um, they're kind of caught in the middle. And, like, yeah, like, you know, for the festival, I'm hoping I don't care what theater I work with. I want to work with a theater that wants to do a piece for high school kids, you know, because they do get the short end. But you know, because it's, you know, we're talking about race and the character I want to create is a combination of the Black Panther and Miles Morales. Mm. And he's struggling with identity in his neighborhood, but also with these issues like of police brutality and racism. Mm. You know, in the African-American uh, anthology, we have a play about race, a musical about race oh, for like city wow. garden kids. And it's when good broccoli goes bad and it's all vegetables like, yo, orange, fuck you. <laughs> you know, no, don't hang out with, yeah. with, with broccoli. He's too green, man. You know? And but that's about race, but they could do it in that way. But when you get older, you can't do it like that anymore. You have to get a little bit more real yeah. and theaters get scared. So, so but, but, I, but I ask you, like, why, why do we have to get like real when we get to adult theater? I think that's kind of like my my biggest beef, too, is that mm -hmm. why can't yeah. we live in a world where playwrights who are creating stuff that I don't want to say like like magical realism, because that's such yeah. a like, you know, a generic yeah. kind of phrase now. But like why aren't we using the tools that we have of complete sense of imagination to, to come up with plays that are just completely mind boggling and through whether you want to call it supernatural or magical realism, whatever, all kinds of, of, you know, absurd things happening, yeah. we can make a little bit more light. And I think like theater for young audiences kind of does that, you know, amazingly when it's yeah. running on all cylinders, right? Like just, yeah. you know, and it's, um, yeah, like I said, it's respecting kids. And, and understanding that they're more resilient than we give them credit for, and they understand more than we give them credit for. And if you get past that, then this kind of art can progress and can flourish, you know? Okay. But that's a tough sell. That's a tough sell. Oh, absolutely. So when you're writing plays, do you immediately start thinking of how am I going to sell this? How am I going to pitch this? Or is there a little bit of that that you, you kind of have to maintain as, okay, I'm writing now and I have to, I have to create something new? myself i mean i think there's always a little bit of that just because you want your work to get done but at the same time um i'll have that in my mind but ultimately i'm going to write the story i want to write and and it it if it gets done it gets done if it doesn't it doesn't hmm. um I, I i have to want to write stuff or like i tell my students i don't want you to write stuff you want to write i want you to write stuff you believe you need to write and so that ultimately wins but there's always like a little piece you know, and I've been involved in the field enough to know what I can get away with and what I can't. And I think yeah. once, you know, so, um, so yeah, that's always a little bit, but ultimately I couldn't live with myself if that was the main focus. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to write this because I know this. I mean, I have to admit there is, um, I'm going to take, I love musicals mm -hmm. and I'm going to take my first stab at a musical and my composer actually lives in Austin, Texas. Oh, wow. And once this year's, cause she's working on a project and I'm working on a bunch. And so uh 2022 we're going to begin it and it's very kind of commercial broadway it's like school of rock mm. um uh matilda that kind but <laughs> you know like the characters these kids even though it's kind of that like broader kind of thing we're really the kids are really like you know the lead girl has to be latina and she struggles with our identity 
you know, mm-hmm. and she's with a single mom. Uh, the boy deals, you know, there's a, a boy who deals with body image. He's overweight and deals with body image. And so all the kids in it, they're really struggling with real problems. So I could still write this commercial thing, but I'm still sticking to my values as a writer. Mm. If I was just being, I just want it to be Broadway and that's it, then I'm just a hack. And that's something I never want to be. Sure, sure. It has I to have a little bit of you. Look in the mirror. I always have to be able to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I did something that I'm proud of. And that does have value and that people can get something out of other than just entertainment. Mm. And that it engage. So like, even when kids see this musical, they're going to talk about this kid who, who, you know, wants to hurt himself because he's fat. You know, they're going to talk about how this Latina girl feels unwanted and, and the way, the only way she feels wanted or, or, or belonging is through her cooking, mm-hmm. you know? And so, uh, so yeah. So, um, uh, there always has to be, I can't not have something to say <laughs> in my plays, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Something that comes straight from the source, straight from you mm-hmm. and, and your heart. Um, do you think that, um, uh, oh, I was going to ask you this. You you mentioned uh, Death of a Salesman, but are there any musicals that that really stick with you or that made an impact on you that you? Really oh yeah, kind of, oh kind of yeah. And, um, I've always liked. I thought musicals were always cool, but then when I discovered theater, I'm like, okay, cool, you know. And um, I was in grad school, at Arizona State, and um, I was home for uh like a weekend, and I went to go see Rent. Mm. And uh, I was in the third row, and it blew me away. I have the Rent logo tattooed on my chest. Oh, and I, when I got it tattooed, I, I hung out with my friends that way. And it was all my like West Hollywood gay actor friends. And like, dude, now you're officially gayer than us. I'm like, <laughs> guilty. And I'm like, but you know, and, uh, but yeah, rent definitely is one. Um, Lin-Manuel with Hamilton in the Heights. Definitely. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like I said, the kid who I was talking to, and I'm going to continue to talk to, um, I was telling him when I went to see rent for the first time, um, I won the lottery twice. So I was in the front row with Lin-Manuel, but the first time, oh, wow. I went on a Wednesday matinee because I was going to go to a, do- a Mets game afterwards. <laughs> and um, they announced that Lin-Manuel wasn't going to be the, the, the uh, wasn't acting. And I got pissed. <laughs> Why the fuck? And then I'm like, wait, it's a Wednesday matinee. Of course he wouldn't be. And I'm like, my bad. Oh. And then, you know, and I was still pissed. And then, you know, you hear the opening notes. And then like five minutes into it, I, I felt tears in my eyes. I'm like, it didn't matter. Because mm-hmm. I see a bunch of brown people on stage oh, not yeah. making fools of themselves. Oh man. And I, I tell you what, and talk about representation. This is something yeah. that I think at least just from my perspective, perspective, we came a long way. I was, I was joking with the last guest that I had. I was like, my, my, uh, you know, images that I had growing up were like Univision, the three amigos, maybe Speedy Gonzalez, if we're lucky, uh-huh. you know, like maybe if you count Aladdin, he's kind of Brown, you know, we kind of empathize with him, but I have an eight year old son watching Hamilton with him. And him being in love with it, you know, and just getting to watch it on Disney Plus, you know, like it yeah. wasn't even the theatrical experience. You can tell the weight of the work just kind of oh, yeah. comes across the screen and it makes a difference for kids. Like, I don't know if you saw that uh, Twitter thing of of this little little Asian girl who was uh, watching Philippa So sing in Hamilton. And then she said, she, uh, she looks like me. Oh, like yeah. She, she, that, yeah. You know, she did, she did that whole thing. And it just completely boggles my mind um because that shouldn't be the norm you know like that that should just be proliferated and, and should be all over so uh hell of a show it's a it's a really oh, yeah. awesome show you know and um i also love jersey boys i'm not gonna i, I love oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. and that's a playwright even more because i think that's the best book you know what i mean yeah. in terms of you know because a lot of times in musicals if the music is so good producers were like okay the book isn't exactly as good but mm. the music is good especially uh, you know what i love about those jukebox musicals is that yeah. here's the songs okay and then you gotta you gotta kind of weave a little bit of a story there and make those work i mean that's gotta be a hell of a challenge and it's most of them suck most of them <laughs> suck and i know like it, with uh like i said there's a homeboy right now and um i want to after the after this year's kind of over i want to reach out to him because i would love to do a a jukebox musical of uh the music from those lonely boys oh yeah yeah that would yeah, be great that, would, would that go to broadway ain't gonna go to broadway but if, if it plays in in texas in new mexico in california in oakland you know i mean that should make some bomb, impact you know I mean? oh yeah yeah and you know you that's something a, but, but this is the beautiful thing that's how you get people who don't normally go to the theater yeah. right i mean it that's the way we got to look at it Exactly. And when you said representation, I don't use the term DEI anymore. And I know like some people now what's, do. Um, what's that again? I'm sorry. Uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusivity. That's oh. like the people. And now they're adding access, which I don't agree with because access is included in those words. Mm. But I use the word dire and it's really appropriate because the situation is dire. Mm-hmm. It really is. 
And so, and dire, and I use that with everything. I just used it when I turned in my tenure packet to try to get tenure. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not using your words. These are the words I'm using. So it's dire is supposed to read diversity, inclusivity, representation, and equity. Cause representation isn't the same as those three. Mm. And there's power in seeing someone who looks like you in front of that classroom on that stage in the books or plays you read. Oh, and yeah. we don't acknowledge that. So I, I include that now. I won't even use DEI anymore. Fuck that shit. Uh, <laughs> You know, we need to be representative. And I hate when people like Jose, how can we how can we change this? Mm -hmm. Hire motherfuckers. It really that's the first step. Yeah. They don't do it a year later. Jose, what do I told you last year? Hire motherfuckers. (laughs) Oh my God. And and it's not racist that are fucking things up. It's the white folk who think they're woke. That's Mm -hmm. really who's fucking shit up right now. Who kind of things as they are. And I do have to say, just because I gotta give a shout out, and I think this is super important in terms of representation and and mentors specifically. One of the greatest experiences I had in college was in like my third year of college at the University of Wyoming. Um, we had one uh, one Latina professor who was very, very kind to me. Uh, and that that time when I'm trying to think here, um, Jose Cruz Gonzalez came because of her. She made it happen. And he was doing sunsets and margaritas at the Denver Center. I and know. the the week I spent with him he was one of the, one of the most influential people I've had in my life. And not because, not because he, he went out of his way to, to like, say, this is what you got to do. This is how you got to fight the system and this or that. But he just said, I'm going to have, um, a rehearsal on Thursday. Would you like to come to Denver with me? And Holy shit, that, that really, I mean, just in terms of seeing somebody who was, who was so far along in their career, taking a chance to say, here's, here's a kid who's, who wants to be a playwright. And he gave me that chance to go and, and watch him work was was really amazing. And like, I just got to give him a shout out because he oh, he really did. He is kinda... the nicest person on the face of the earth. And I yeah. tell him, dude, you're, <laughs> I mean, you're too nice. This is a dude who every year for my birthday. Hi, cabron. And it, uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're at I'm ahead now because he wakes up like five o'clock every morning. Uh, he'll 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 call me and he'll be playing his guitar and he'll sing me El Las Mañanitas every year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I actually was with them two weeks ago. Oh, that's um, awesome. Um, because his play opened up at the Goodman in Chicago, so it was opening and I went to to support him and and he oh my god, this dude never lets you pay. <laughs> I don't know how many meals, and I'm like, dude, it's your birthday. Maybe that's the only chance. And even when we went to Chicago, he paid for dinner. I'm like, dude, it's your play. Oh man. And uh, he's like, and he said, the way you pay me back is that you never let any of your students pick up the check. That's how you pay me back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talk about him taking a chance, like I said, I was a junior and I was going to graduate. I'm like, I'm a drama major. I have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. So I wrote to about 40 Latino people in theater that I found out about. And like I said, we didn't have the Internet back then. We had to actually write letters <laughs> right. and pay money for scripts and shit. <laughs> and um, only three people responded. One was uh, Jose Chumacero, who was uh, like uh, a theater uh, administrator. Beautiful soul. Mm-hmm. Um, he died of AIDS. Oh. Um, really beautiful. So, a uh, Gronk, who was this performance artist muralist, funky, wild motherfucker. He was great. <laughs> and then the third person was Jose Cruz Gonzalez. And so he invited me to talk to him, and and then he invited me that summer to be an intern at the Hispanic Playwrights Project because he was the artistic director mm-hmm. of that at the South Coast Rep. Mm-hmm. And then he went to teach at Cal State LA, and I, that's where I got my first degree under him. And like I said, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing this. I would have quit. I guarantee I would have quit and done something else. And, and he's that way with so many people. Yeah. And he has, I think the kindest soul in the world. Um, I don't know anyone who has one bad thing to say about him. And like I said, mm-hmm. and, and I mean it when I'm like, sometimes you're too fucking nice. And I'm pretty nice myself, <laughs> but I'm like, dude, Jose, you're like, like sugary, nice. And, <laughs> and people take advantage, I think sometimes, but mm. He's a, he's just a lovely man and, and, and he just cares about people so much and, and it's embedded in his work and, and in his mentorship. So shout out to him as well for me. So, that's, yes, that's right. Uh, no, but I, I just think the power of having somebody <laughs> to, to help you along the way is, yeah. is just, you know, and now that's the beautiful thing that you're doing too, is, is just by being there in that space that doesn't have a lot of that you're, you're making such a tremendous difference. And, and for people who, like, like me who grew up in, a situation where it wasn't too accessible. I mean, I feel that I'm still learning from my culture and, and getting to talk to you is like a great pleasure because we feel like we're just constantly just catching up, constantly trying to figure out 
what the hell are we supposed to do? You know, like, are, uh, how, how does the code switching work? You know, like, who am I? But, oh, yeah. um, you know, in terms of, of using theater to explore culture a little bit more, can you tell me a little bit about the, the ethnographic and documentary theater, theater stuff? Like, how yeah. does that typically work? Like, what's the right way to do that? It differs for each project, you know, whether you're doing it by yourself or you're collaborating with anyone. Um, and it's an ethnodrama really is 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 blossom into different varieties. Um, it could be a straight like 100 percent documentary theater where everything's 100 percent verbatim. So for Flint, it's 100 percent verbatim, but I, ver I very much stylize it, mm. you know, and then there's others where you're doing interviews and you don't use them as plays, but use them as the basis of your work. Okay. So there's different kind of modalities. Um, like I said, for Flint, and that's probably Flint, and I love all my plays, but that one particularly, that was, you know, because when you're doing that kind of work, you first have to build tr trust in that community. Oh, for sure. You know? yeah. Because, you know, with Especially, Flint. Especially, yeah, a community yeah, that's you know, been beaten down so much, you know. And it's uh, still being beaten down, and it's going to be suffering from what happened for generations. You know, and I remember one person tell me, you know, you know, people come in, whether it's famous actors or politicians or never, and they come in and they leave and we're just guinea pigs for them that they can show off. Just like, a promo. They're helping. Right. Promo you know? opportunity. And, you know, and I know plays of people written about Flint, but it never gone there, hmm. you know? And, and so when I was starting to figure out, I was, I actually applied for this job two years in a row. And the first year people were here were telling me about it. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I started doing more research and then, um, um i didn't get the job and uh and the next year i applied again um didn't get it again and then the person who got the job if or they offered fell through so i i got it mm. um and and i was and the one thing that did it for me was hearing about the latino experiences with the, and that i never heard of because on tv you only saw poor black people suffering yeah and realizing how many different communities were suffering and even when we did the play in flint how some african-americans like we didn't even know this was happening to the latino people and we live here with them wow you know and so I made this conscious effort to say, if I get the job, I will do this play. If not, I can't be there for a week and go home to L.A. or Texas, wherever, and write it and and feel like I did something right. I think that morally is unethical. Uh -huh. And so I got the job. So I spent a bunch of time just getting to know people and building trust in the community. And then because when you're doing this kind of writing, you're, you not only are a playwright, you also have to be a journalist and you also have to honor you know the process and you have to do applied theater where like you know for every one person i interviewed and i interviewed over a hundred four to five people for every one said no and sometimes in ways that wasn't very nice <laughs> but i respect those you have to respect those no's just as much if not more than the yeses because sure. i'm not trying to cause more trauma by me being there and telling this story yeah and so for that work is really is is about uh the ethical things that you really have to consider Mm -hmm. and building trust in the community so that when you're in the process you're not really doing interviews you're having conversations and if it doesn't feel like you're conversating with with people then you shop probably shouldn't be doing it mm -hmm. you know so, and so yeah oh, like, sorry. oh no go um i was just going to say starting from a place of of empathy like a true playwright or true artist just got to understand where these people are coming from to be able to reach out and and share their story for the good of the community um, yeah. And, you know, and with Flint, we, we did it here as our season, but, you know, people like, you know, people here are like, well, when they, when people from Flint kind of see it, what, I'm like, what fucking makes you think they're going to come see this shit? <laughs> 35, 40 bucks a ticket, gas, you bring up, and plus universities like this aren't, aren't inviting to poor people of color. They ain't yeah. going to come. And so we did do it um, at a community center. We did do it in our video center, which is amazing. Mm. And it's actually on my website. You could see the play if you want on, on that. Oh, heck yes. I'm going to have to go watch yeah. that. Yeah. And so I did it so that people who didn't have access, not only to the school, but even in Flint with the horrible transportation, if they even couldn't see it in Flint, at least hopefully they could see it online mm. on video, trying to create as much access. And like when we did it in, in, in Flint, our students were really, they almost wanted to quit. Because, you know, you know, they do Shakespeare and then they have fun. Then they go hang out with their friends and they drink beer and eat pizza, which they should during college. Yeah. But when you're portraying someone who's in pain, someone who actually might even be in the audience watching you portray them. And then you go home and they have no money. They have poison in their bodies and in the pipes and you it's not as easy to go have pizza and beer. Mm -hmm. and, and so they were really scared, but it was a good experience for them. And even the conversations, you know, when they heard it and, you know, when we did in Flint, you know, there are people saying we expected this to be exploitive. We expected this to be bad. And they were such, they were shocked. Oh. You know, uh, at one part, one character at the end sings the, the, 
the Negro national anthem and about five or six African women, older ones, start singing along with her. Oh, like, man. praise Jesus, hallelujah. <laughs> and, and it was just so great in the That's talk back. And, and even when we did the intermission, because we catered it with some really good soul food. <laughs> and um, and um, so at the intermission, the host, the community center, like, okay, everyone, let's eat. I'm like, whoa that's cool, but we probably should wait till afterward because it's only 10 minutes. They didn't listen. And that 10 minute intermission turned into an hour intermission. And what was beautiful is that the people eating and they were talking about the first act of the play. Yeah. Oh, and they were talking, they were talking like, oh, they're just, they were literally talking about the play. We kind of had to like push them back in. This is, yeah. You're, you're tapping into something so interesting that I hadn't thought about is like, we have a stuffy, like kind of idea, right. Of what the form is. And why don't we think of playwriting in particular when starting out these ideas is like, why not have a 45 minute intermission to talk about this and figure it out? Why not, you know, have a little bit more call and response, you know, and try to redefine the form a little bit for that to, to happen. Yeah. But no, no, we feel bad, right? We feel yeah, bad. It was it's like, great. Oh, and I, yeah. And uh, I remember that can the actors come eat with us? Um, no, that we're going to have to actually say no to <laughs> because they kind of have to be in character. And then yeah. the talk back was great. But, you know, it was great just having community. You know what I mean? And yeah. not that stuffy. I remember I went to play at the taper in L.A. And, and that's my dream theater. I want to have one play done there before I die. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we were seeing the plays intermission. And I was wearing shorts and like a basketball. I don't. I hardly wear. I usually wear sports jerseys and shorts. <laughs> I'm wearing even when I teach, dude. So like, you know, yeah, yeah. You gotta be comfortable. Like, you know, if I was in the business school, that wouldn't happen. I'd be wearing a suit to class to teach every day. And um, so I was coming out of mission. This older white dude who's like a subscriber. She's like, she's like, son, you know, have you seen how you're dressed? I'm like, yeah. You know, this is theater. You should be ashamed of yourself. My core, like, oh you. My God. And he's like, I'm a subscriber, and then I'm like, fuck you, Mr. <laughs> subscriber. Like, fuck you and the chariot you came in here with on your wife. I'm a fucking playwright. I'm an actor. I'm a director. I've sacrificed everything for theater. I've lost relationships for theater. I put myself in immense debt for this theater. So fuck you. you know I mean, That's and then right, everyone man. around us was like clapping. And I'm like, yeah. And, and, and his wife was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And no, man, it's, I don't yeah. want that type of theater to be. I want I want the type of theater where like. People like I have one play where people are bringing in 40s and the Vato locals are killing. I'm like, See, you know, I, I did. A, yeah. And uh, that's the play that I would rather go to 100 percent of the time over something that is that is just so antiquated and doesn't yeah. really have a relationship with the now. What's happening now? Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my I God. I don't tolerate fools. I don't tolerate fools. <laughs> yeah. So so how does that rub off on people who are just starting out, you know, like not tolerating fools and staying true to what their mission is? to to serve through the arts like how does that happen for somebody who's just starting out if you if you have any advice or if you got any tips on how to start building that toolkit (laughs) well like i said that's literally the conversation i just had with this kid who just like hey i just want to talk to you and um and you know tell him about you know like i said you know you need to you need to decide what you want the arts to do for you you need to understand what you want art what role to play in your life and also too like when I tell people I'm a player, I'm like, yeah, it's what I do, but really it's, it's who I am. Mm. You know, I could win the lottery and I wish I can. Am I going to stop writing? No, I'm going to write till the fucking day I die because I feel that that's who I am. And, and doing that also, if you're going in and you're going to be telling stories, um, advocate for yourself. You have to be your biggest advocate and, and you can't be afraid. And, and sometimes that attitude is going to kind of piss people off. It does for me. You know, and so be it, you know, because I, yeah. I do want change and I do want a more inclusive and 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 well-rounded theater. And and I said that the, the, a lot of the people who are get offended are the ones who think they're they're with the program, you know, with this theater thing, the superheroes. Some theaters have said no, because like we're working on different initiatives with DI. I'm like, cool, just work on them. Mm-hmm. Others, because it doesn't fit like what they do stylistically. And I get it. Um, and other, obviously others who said, yeah, we want to be a part of this, but there's been so many. And I sent an email to the artistic director saying this has also been sad because I've talked to so many artistic directors that make me realize why we're where we're at mm-hmm. and 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 why people get so offended that you call them racist, you know, and, and it's just like, you know, if you're not willing to, to see the truth in this, I, I, I feel bad for you. If you're not willing to see that this this dialogue hopefully leading the action that we need to have is going to be messy. And that's because of history. But if you don't accept that messiness, 
you're just part of the problem. You're, you're, you're basically reinforcing why we're at where we're at. And so I, I, I tell people, do your art, be creative, be intelligent, be responsible, be ethical art makers and advocate. And if people aren't on your trip, they don't or that, you know, then they're not going to be, you know, mm -hmm. work with those collaborators, with those people who are working towards that same goal, you know? Yeah. Do you think it's possible for somebody who is outside of the academic system to make an impact by creating theater on their own, like producing their own work and, and just trying to be more community based rather than academically based? Um, I think there are a lot of people out there. Um, it depends how far wide reaching they want. Um, like I said, you know, when I got this job, finally, I wasn't sure I was going to get it because I don't have the Broadway things. Most of my work is with people. Mm -hmm. and, and, and most academic institutions don't value that as much as the guy who has a Tony yeah. or a Grammy, mm -hmm. you know? And so I lucked out in that way and I could be able to do my stuff. Um, and we, we need more of that, but we also need more of a connection with the bigger theaters and those community-based theaters. Mm -hmm. So like if there's work being done at that level, that's great. We want to get it out to those bigger ones to share it. You know, um, mm -hmm. one of the theaters I'm really proud that is in um, the playwright cohort is this one called Rising Youth Theater in Phoenix. And I, I was a resident, resident playwright for a while and they've done a few of my shows and they're all site specific community based and 75% mm. of their leadership is youth. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. And, and, and seeing what they do with community based and it's, it's some of the best art and some of the most heartfelt art is theirs that I've seen. Like I said, the work I've done with them, I did a Latina adaptation of Antigone and uh, a hip hop one. And just seeing, you know, when you see 600 people, at midnight in downtown Phoenix, seeing a hip hop play, mm. you know, and in, yeah. in that city, the King just walks in in our version, he comes in in a low rider that's blasting <laughs> the the, on top of the church is the DJ. Oh, There's a dude graffiti art of the whole play on the wall. Oh, this is all happening. You know, when the break dancing, um, the two brothers in Antigone, you never see them. Mm. Oh, my brothers have died. They need a proper funeral and stuff in ours. They did a break dancing to the death. And you had like, b-boys on 20-foot walls standing on walls because they wanted to see because everyone was so like oh hell yes and them experiencing you mm -hmm. know and how do we get that same mentality into these larger theaters that right. don't have access to people of color and don't have uh, don't give access to communities and don't know how to build relationships because it's not good enough to say oh this year we're doing a black play or an asian play right you need to build lifelong community relationships and until you do you're never going to change the dial Right. Because it's pure isolationism. Right. And, and, you know, you have like a bit of the token play coming in here for, for a certain, you know, piece of the, of the season rather than creating that constant dialogue of like, what does the community need? Um, but I didn't get a chance to ask you about, uh, spoken word or like doing lyrics. Do you do some lyrics for that, for, for the plays or do you collaborate with people? Um, uh, so with the, um, with, like I said, with the, the, uh, the, um, with a musical, I'm really scared in a way. I'm excited, but scared because I've never written lyrics. Mm. Um, uh, luckily, my composer is badass. So we're going to work together uh, with the lyrics. Oh, and cool. so that's a good way of being introduced mm -hmm. to that. Um, when I use spoken word, that shit's all me because I used to be heavy into the spoken word scene. And so yeah. when I did my um, musical or like the spoken word thing in college, you know, we had break dancing battles. I know that culture. And I got into spoken word because I was having trouble writing a good play. It felt like a cheesy after school special. And then I started listening to spoken word and I got into it and I was like, fuck, I could do this. And, and then it became like a musical because instead of music, that spoken word became the language. And so whenever I use spoken word, that shit's all me, man. I, yeah. I spit those rhymes. Like, like I said, I spit, I'm not, I'm not a rapper, but if it comes to spoken word, I can, I, I can, I can, I can spit some shit up on the mic, man. That's, that's where you live. Then that's yeah, kind of like and, straight from the heart. Yeah. And you know, it, it's hard. Some actors have had hot, trouble with spoken word. It's been funny. And so like the play that we're producing, mm -hmm. um, like I said, at the end, end of the season, I really love this play. And it's the first time it's ever getting produced oh. um, or a production that I've seen. And, um, and, and which is sad because I've won a, a bunch of awards for this play, but it's never really been produced. Mm. And, um, and so it's, you know, these kids who live in motels and are homeless right by Disneyland. These are based on true stories. Mm -hmm. And um, and so when each of the kids has their like, I need to go inside myself moments, it's spoken word. Oh, beautiful. You know? And so one of them is a double one because it's a Latina brother and sister. And but, you know, and it's a set of vignettes. And uh, 
And so really, I just love how to incorporate spoken word in some of my plays, not all of them, but for example, that one is it's just fun to let spoken word be their truest expression of what they're feeling mm-hmm. at the time. And it's a good way to connect kids because a lot of kids know what spoken word is. Mm-hmm. So that also is a connector to 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 theater, because I don't think the Greeks and Shakespeare, and this is just my opinion, mm-hmm. is the best way to introduce kids to theater. I'm sorry. And if you're going to use those, like I said, when I did Antigone, I, 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 I created a hip hop one to try to create a bridge. You know, mm-hmm. and I use some of the original text, but also with a, with like hip hop vernacular and to write it. So it kind of feels like it's the same. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. But we yeah. have to find, a, find those bridges. Yeah, absolutely. And that's got to be a hell of a challenge too to, to feel like where's the, the connective thread right between this Greek text that's thousands of years old. That, but the message might still be similar, though. Like, I don't know, like thematically, do you ever get hung up on that? It's like, what does this shit have to do with now or it, do you yeah, no, see more tough, commonality, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's just about finding those commonalities. And like I said, writing is hard, man. Um, <laughs> I forgot this one quote and I shared it with my kids. It's like, um, I hate writing, but I love having written. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and I believe that. And it kind of reminds me, like I have a lot of tattoos. I'm actually getting one in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, number we, we, we haven't even talked about like tattoos yeah. fully, man. I, there's and, so uh, much. And, uh, um, I hate getting tattoos. They fucking hurt, man. They don't, I hate <laughs> tattoos. And, Leading up to that tattoo, I'm like, oh, why am I like this? But then when it's done, I'm like, mm. you yeah. know, and like the last one I got was a Vihen de Guadalupe on my calf. Oh, yeah. And so like, I Vihen, you were worth the pain. And so, but it's that same thing. Like the, sometimes the, 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 for me, actually, most of the time it's torturous, mm. but in the end, I'm glad I wrote it. You know what I mean? But that process for me, sometimes it's not fun, but I know what the ultimate goal is. And if it works out, then, then you know like oh, i said that's that's awesome that's beautiful i want to ask you just a couple more questions because i want to sure. be respectful of your time and hopefully next time i'll be able to to chat with you in the future oh, like yeah. when you're putting out uh your your latest books and stuff uh cool. and alvaro really wants us to to have a chat together oh, wait. oh uh, yeah no we gotta get alvaro in the room <laughs> we'll, man. we'll get him in here uh i i, I need feel to that... see him because you know how he's into the luchadora yeah yeah yeah, stuff, yeah. the wrestler um i saw this thing i like every once in a while i'll go to walmart to the clearance section mm. And so, you know, those, those, those big old like bags that you used to punch as a kid and yeah, like yeah. you fear, there was a wrestler one. So I got one for him. I told him next time I'm in Chicago, I got something for you, dude. <laughs> so oh, we definitely need to, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, include Alvaro in the trio. So no, man, uh, he's, uh, he's amazing. And I'm just, you know, yeah. one of the blessings of this podcast is being able to connect with folks who are really inspiring to me, such as yourself. It's, it's incredible, <laughs> but, you know, like in terms of having a family, and managing a theater life or an artistic life, how does do you think that there's there's a balance to be had there, or is there constant adjustment? Is that really the life? Um, since I'm a fifty, almost fifty three year old man who's single, I would say it's hard. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like I said, I think um, as you know, for me being also an academic, I've had to follow different jobs. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. And and I never in a million years would have thought I'd be teaching in fucking Michigan, you know, <laughs> and um, and um, and as much as I want to go home, there's not a job for me right now. Mm-hmm. So in terms of my family, it's hard to be separated. My friends as well, even though yeah. I have friends all across the country. Sure. My, you know, my friend friends, but also, you know, it's also cost me relationships, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, um, they don't understand the life, you know, well, why do you have to go to tech? Mm-hmm. Why are you there so long? Why this? Why that? And I think, um, you know, it really is, you know, at least in, in a, the, the partner part, you have to have a partner who I think is really independent mm-hmm. and understands what your your profession calls of you, because it does call a lot, a call yeah. a lot from you. And, and that balance, I think, is really, really difficult. And right. and and uh, I haven't found it yet. I wish I had, but I haven't. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, I'm still searching for Miss Wright. Mm-hmm. But uh, I understand, like I said, why it's difficult. So you have to write, find that right personality. And I think when people are considering making this their their life, they really have to ask that question. Right. Because uh, I think a lot of artists quit during COVID. Like, I can't do this again. Mm-hmm. And I have a wife. I have a family, you know. And, you know, uh, Jonathan Larson's uh, Lin-Manuel's directing the film version of, of Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I hope he doesn't fuck up. Because, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a big cast and everything. But the actual musical is only three people. Mm-hmm. And it's basically autobiographical. I mean, you have Jonathan Larson. He died the day he won the lottery. You oh, know, wow. when rent came up, he died. Yeah. 
and 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 so the musical is about him and and his woman and his friend but it's that moment like when do we decide if the dream is worth chasing oh you know and if it is worth chasing then the other question is can i respectfully be in a relationship can i and be with that family in a way that allows me to balance both because it's not fair to say hey this is my life and you guys you know you're next you have to find a way to make them equal you know and it's and it's like i said i haven't found that solution yet so you know and uh but everyone i know who is in it it's 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 usually it's it's you know you always have to balance it you always have to Mm -hmm. negotiate just like any relationship but i think like for artists it's i think i think the closest thing you consider is like someone who's like a neurosurgeon or something like that who has a lot also a lot of time doing that so Mm -hmm. how do you balance that because i think it's important too you know and And, 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 but it's tough, man. It's, it's, it's tough. And I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that question because like I said, I don't think I found it yet, but it's definitely hard. But, you know, I'm curious because there, there's a theme, you know, I, I think that I have so many people that I, that I look up to who are parents who, who are juggling so many things and they're still able to do this artistic thing or their, their careers, right. Their artistic pursuits. And I felt like I had to stop doing playwriting for like six, seven years to raise my kid. And then, and then, you know, that, that's kind of what this is, is like, I'm getting back into it because my child is old enough now that we can yeah. kind of pick up where we left off. But, uh, mostly out of curiosity, I, I try to ask everyone because it, it is a battle and it, it is a tough thing, but, um, I, I appreciate that now to impart a little bit of, of ground level knowledge for people who, who say want to use digital media to get the word out, you know, to share their work with communities. Like, do you have any advice for people who are just starting out who want to connect and communicate with people um, and, and share their work yeah. online? Um, like I said, it, it's I'm, uh, my students joke at me because my knowledge of technology is horrible, dude. Um, every time <laughs> we have to do something in tech, I make my students do it. Um, I probably still be, and I literally still have my very first typewriter right there. My oh, little I, yeah, I was going to comment brother. on that. <laughs> um, uh, and I'd probably still be using typewriters if they had ribbon. And uh, um, I think, you know, and um, you know, it's different from where we're at because like I said, the kid who I'm talking to, um, and this is the first time I met him, like I said, his, 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 his uncle is Robert Rodriguez, the director. Mm. And it was different. Like I said, I'm your uncle's age. And it was different when we were like independent film was actually independent film. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, his, I mean, his uncle went and did experimental testing for medicines so he could afford to <laughs> <Right>. do it. <MIT. laughs> yeah. Now you see like the independent spirit awards and it's like, a $10 million movie with eight budget, like eight act late list actors like, fuck you. This ain't no independent <laughs> film. You got to so do a shoestring. Yeah. yeah. And it's changed. And so I tell students, like, since I don't know that much about technology, but they do. Mm-hmm. And to take advantage of it, you know, you could put your plays online if you want. You could do this, do your research to find those different people. That's how I did it. Mm-hmm. It's just that you use the phone. Now they have their computers look out for like this kid reached out to me. Uh, research, look at those people who you and uh, I would inspire you, try to talk to them, try to talk to other people. There's, there's groups out there. There are podcasts, the, you know, use the technology it is because it's, it's opened up the world. Mm. And, and so really use that, 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 that technology just to connect and, um, and, and to get your work out there. First of all, just, first of all, make the work first, yeah. you know, the yeah. worst <laughs> thing to do is everyone has ideas. Well, what do you have? Oh, well, nothing. You have to come with work, you know, and with dreams and with plans and what is your intentions and just share those. Because like I said, there are Jose Cruz Gonzalez's out there in the world and find them and then listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And um, and like I said, use the technology because it is it's I wish this technology was around when I was young and it yeah. wasn't. And, uh, and I feel like I'm trying to catch up with it and not being very successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh to take advantage of, of what's out there and then and, and uh people who really care about the future they'll 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 respond mm-hmm. you know they'll respond yeah. you know that at least I, I hope so yeah yeah let's hope you know? so and and one last thing here sure. i i try to make this podcast a case for the arts especially in places where we don't have it um and i'm, I'm curious if you could give me a pitch right like you you've spoken very beautifully about how, what this means to you as an artist and, and you've made it your craft. Why do we need the arts now more than ever in our communities? And what has it done for you personally to, to better your quality of life? 
Cool. Um, in terms of why the arts is important, I mean, I think COVID is a really good example. You know, when we couldn't, you know, when we couldn't go out, we, can, we couldn't be with people, we couldn't give hugs. Um, what did people do? They listened to music, they painted, they saw TV, they saw movies. Um, and, and, and we reached out to it and, and, and to understand that the arts are just as important as any other thing. And, and, and also that arts has a connection to so many things in terms of education. We've seen multiple, multiple um, research that, that people and kids who understand and, and participate in the arts do better academically, do better cognitively. And so it's not just, oh, we're just entertaining. There's a value, intrinsic value in us, in our mental health, in our, in our intellectual capacity, if we know the arts. You know, we need the arts because arts is one of those things that also is a way to connect us with each other and teach empathy towards our human, our, our, our fellow man. You know what I mean? And that's things, those are things that science and other things maybe don't do quite as well, you know, and theater, you know, is a great way of showing our differences, but at the same time, uniting us in our universalities. Hmm. So I think, you know, it is needed. It's, it shouldn't be an afterthought it should be embedded in, in our world. And, um, and it makes us a better world, you know what I mean? And, and it's a continuation of the, of the rituals that we already have in place. It's a continuation of the oral storytelling that has always been in place. And so, you know, marriage is a ritual, theater is a ritual as well, and, and we should embrace it. In terms of me personally, it's just like I said, once I found it, and like I said, as much as difficult as it has been, it's, I don't want to go all Hamilton and say it's my legacy, but, you know, I think I've always wanted to leave this world a little better place than when I got here. And I think I'm doing that through theater and I'm honoring my mentors. I'm honoring the other people who do this. I'm honoring our ancestors, you know, and, um, and like I said, hopefully, you know, my little, the arts in me have left the little spot that will inspire people to continue it because the change that I want isn't going to happen in my lifetime. It's not, and so it's about planting the seeds now, you know, those miracle seeds for the altar now so that they flourish one day. And so the arts is everything for me. It's, it's who I am. It, it's, I don't want to say it saved me, but in a way it kind of did, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. um, and it makes me realize that my voice matters, you know, and my art reflects me because I'm emotional and sometimes I'm the most one day I'm high and one day I'm low <laughs> and that's how my process is. But so be it, you know what I mean? And, uh, um, and I don't want to think of the world without arts, you know? And like I said, as much as it's been difficult and as many times as I've wanted to quit, I would not change a thing for the world. So, Oh man, Jose, this has been, uh, an incredibly informational and inspiring conversation. I can't thank you enough for taking the oh, time to do you. this. Um, this is uh, really what I think what I needed to hear and what a lot of people uh, of color who want to get into the arts need to hear. So I just, uh, again, thank you so much for what you're doing. And indeed, you're leaving such a legacy that, you know, Michigan is is really, really lucky to have you. And right. uh, I can't wait to bug you again, you know, and get all oh, that yeah. in here. Um, more and more conversations and also really quickly when you said about like how do people reach out anyone on this fucking podcast if you're interested <laughs> you could reach out to me as well i don't <laughs> care who you are where you're at so oh bless you man i i appreciate it you know from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for you know sharing so much wisdom with us and uh you know next time i'll ask you because alvaro said that i have to ask you what you're listening to or a really light question because he said i i'm asking really really heavy questions so i'll try to balance it out a little cool. bit more when he's back. Awesome. So, Sounds great. <laughs> so thank you again, Jose, for everything. I know we just scratched the surface, but I hope to talk to you real soon. Oh, definitely, and, dude. Definitely. Uh, I'm going to include a lot of your information in the description so folks can check out your website. But uh, your website is brownplaywright.com. Is that right? Yeah. And the, there's a really funny story about privilege and how like, it's kind of stupid, especially with institutions. When I applied to ASU, I applied to Brown University mm. and my Brown and my email is brownplaywright at, at yahoo.com. And so I get a call from Brown University, like, we thank you for, for, you know, for, um, for, for submitting an application, but you know, you haven't been accepted yet. So we, we encourage you not to use our, our university in your email. I'm like, 
fuck you. I'm brown. I'm a playwright. It has nothing to do with you. And then I hung this up. This isn't about you. I, oh I hung God. up. But literally just that. You know, and then people wonder why people of color don't want to go into the system. Yeah. And shit like that. They yeah, still, absolutely. you know, in every institution, including Michigan, you know, and and I'm on a couple of job committees and we see some of the diversity statements reading by our applicants. <laughs> and I find it ironic that Michigan is like asking people to do a, a diversity statement when they don't even have that diversity stuff in check. Oh, man. You There's know, so much to unpack, man. I, I hope that we get to talk again real soon and, and kind of yes. pick up where we left off. Uh, wonderful human being. I really appreciate you. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll pick up again. Sounds good, man. I look forward to it, man. Right, man. So great Peace. to meet you. Talk to you later. Thank you, man. Adios.